Day two of Canucks training camp here in Whistler, and we are once again live in the rink at the Meadow Park Sports Center up here in Whistler. It's Canucks Hour. Myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. You know, I didn't have my caffeine this morning. Luckily, our, oh, theme, no. our theme music always <laughs> does the trick. Like, I've had funny theme music in the past, you know, like the the tiny Drancer and the and Dom's yes. disco version of just Drance or, or what have you. Yeah. But for some reason, nothing puts the pep in my step. Like it's always so staccato and anxious and anxiety inducing about it. It always makes you. That's exactly what we're trying to do. First of all, is induce anxiety in everyone. Oh yeah, but. It always makes it sound like there's going to be something really important, really breaking, yeah, it's true. vital, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, you have to hear this, which, of course, every show is like that. It's true, us, and then so. it's like, we're here from day two of Canucks day training camp. Day two of training camp. They're, <laughs> they're not on the ice yet, but they will be soon. The goalies have just left well, the ice. Uh, they did the wipe, and we'll get uh, the first group out to practice here in uh, in five or ten minutes. They did goalies ice already, though, and I did notice that they didn't use Henrik, Daniel, and Mikhail <laughs> Samuelson today to warm up the goaltenders in Group B. So... Looks like they've taken some mercy. A mercy rule was applied for the goaltender warm-up today after yesterday's showing with Samuelson, <laughs> Henrik, and Daniel just being up to their old tricks, having absolute chemistry. Turns out you don't want to leave all three of them within a foot no, of the net no. and no defenders. No defenders. Yeah. Uh, give them time and space tough, to pass it tough around. Tough spot. Uh, we're once again coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net, and you can always text us 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Just to get everyone caught up on the schedule today, very, very similar to what we saw yesterday. Well, basically exactly the same as what we saw yesterday, just with the groups rearranged a little bit. So Group B is going to be first on the ice here uh, again in just a matter of minutes. Some of the notables from that group, the line of Elias Pedersen with Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev on his wings. Niels Hoaglander playing with Niels Amon and Linus Carlson also in this group. Uh, and Danny DeKaiser, who we'll hear from later on in the show here on Canucks Hour. Uh, Danny DeKaiser, of course, veteran defenseman on a PTO, also a part of this group, slated again to skate with Tyler Myers. Yeah, and so this is Group B. So they skate first, and then we won't see them scrimmage. No. So this is the team we will not see scrimmage today. Group C, which is the Bo Horvat group, they're in what would I call the loser's spot. They're the lambs to the slaughter group today, which means that they're going to have a rigorous training camp practice and then, and then scrimmage, scrimmage against a bunch of guys who are completely fresh and have been just waiting around, waiting for their day to get started. Yesterday, the Lambs to the Slaughter group lost 3 nothing in the scrimmage. You'd expect something pretty similar today, particularly considering that Group A has the Miller line, which actually played together last year, right? As opposed to Horvat mm -hmm. building chemistry with Garland and Pod Colson or Pe Pedersen trying to figure out exactly how to make Mikhaev and Kuzmenko sing as a trio, you know, Miller's played with Pearson and Besser a lot, like, you know, 200-plus five-on-five minutes last year. And both Oliver ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes are in that group. And so is Thatcher Demko. Yes. Tough spot, tough assignment for Bo Horvat and Group C today. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be interesting. We'll see how they hold up. And uh, also in Group A, as you mentioned, Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson. So they won't take the ice until the scrimmage after we're off the air. Then they'll practice later. So, unfortunately, I, I feel for you, Drench, you're going to have to wait 
uh, a few hours to do your uh, your your craning your neck and looking to see if Quinn Hughes <laughs> is in fact playing every shift on the right well, side. I saw today. enough yesterday to know that they're going to give that a look, right? And and this is in the spirit of figure out what you got in a few areas right off the hop, right? I think Kuzmenko in a pre- premium opportunity is a really good example of that, right? It doesn't serve you to get into November being like, hey, what can this guy help us? Yeah. You know, you need to know as soon as possible exactly what he is and what opportunities he can hold up in. Danny DeKaiser playing with Tyler Myers, you've got an even shorter time horizon, right? You have to sign him. You have to commit money if you're even going to have him on the roster. It, you gotta, you got to know now. And DeKaiser, who came on and had a great chat with us yesterday, or we'll play it today, um, you know, chatted about how different it is when you're in camp on a PTO and need to make that big first impression, yeah. how that changes his approach. But, yeah, the Canucks need to know – in 10 days, if he can hold up as part of, like, if is he an upgrade over Jack Rathbone? Can he play with Tyler Myers maybe in a top-four role? Can he be vital to this team's penalty kill? They have to answer that question, and they only have 10 days to do it. Minus one now, so nine. Clock is ticking. Um, you can see some of these seams up and down the lineup as it looks like the club's really putting an emphasis on figuring out what works, what they can rely on. Um, you know, where guys are at. Now, one thing we didn't talk about yesterday, partly because we were off the air before we saw Group C. Yes. Who's, who are in the loser spot today. But Jason Dickinson, I thought he had a lot of jump. So let's get into some of the things we saw from the scrimmage yesterday, which sure. happened after we got off uh, the air. And, and again, we'll, we'll put all the caveats and the, the grains of salt. It is a scrimmage on day one of training camp. So let's just get, all keep that in mind. But that's one of the things that stood out to me. And among the list of you know, potential opening night lines. Dickinson was skating between Dakota Joshua and Curtis Lazar. Obviously, exceptionally easy to see that as your fourth line on opening night and imagine how are they are going to be used. And, yeah, they looked like a, a pretty NHL-ready fourth line, again, in day one of training camp. And I think a lot of that was Jason Dickinson's effective performance in that I, scrimmage. I thought he looked really good. Now, Curtis Lazar is most effective as a center. Dakota Joshua, I think they view as a winger anyway, but he can play center. Nonetheless, that's a helicopter line, right? Zero wings. Yeah. And, you know, Lazar in particular, I do think we, you know, this team's going to need him to play center for, for a variety of reasons. One, that's where he's best, and you just signed him for three years. Two, he's your only righty. He's your only righty down the middle. So... At some point, he's going to have to play some center. Now, but if Dickinson lines up at center, though, but you need the right-handed yeah, draw, he, he just, just takes it. Stay, of course, step of course. Into the circle, right? But, so but the, I do think you get the most out of Lazar at center. I mean, you just do. Like, that's that's where his game is best suited. So, you know, I do think that there's a bigger picture consideration rather clearly uh, playing out with Dickinson uh, sort of penciled into the opening night lineup at this point. Like, very, very lightly pressed pencil. Right, right. <laughs> easy, right. easy to erase, but lightly pressed. Um, so, nonetheless, though, you know, Dickinson is a guy I liked a lot before the Canucks acquired him. I thought their gamble with the three-year deal was a big one, but I liked the trade when it first happened. And then he looked nothing like the rangy, disruptive presence that I'd seen in Dallas, that I'd seen in the bubble, playing as a matchup centerman against the Braden point line and playing pretty well um, in past years. Looked like he had more jump this year. Uh, we'll see if that translates. We'll see if he can keep that going. But I saw yesterday, anyway, the Dickinson that I'd seen previously. Pedersen was the best player in that scrimmage, by the way. His team lost 3-0, but it felt like he had the puck on the string. Yeah. Uh, it felt like he was making a point at any every moment. And, you know, an inch or two one way or the other. 
and he would have set up some absolute howitzer goals. He was the best player on the ice, and I don't think it was particularly close. No. Uh, early in the scrimmage, set up Danny DeKaiser for a, a kind of golden opportunity uh, to, to tap one in that didn't come to fruition, unfortunately, for DeKaiser. But basically every time that line was together, uh, they were um, – they were creating chances. And uh, l let's talk about that line because that is kind of one of the stories of training camp. And, you you know, we, we heard from all of the individual players on the line yesterday. We heard from Bruce Boudreau about them. I know Jim Rutherford, when he was on Canuck Central yesterday with Riccio and Sat, he name-checked that line as one that he thought looked really good on day one of training camp. So it's Pedersen in between Andre Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev. And I, I do have to say... The, my biggest takeaway from watching that line play together was kind of just confirmation of something we already knew, which is that Elias Pettersson is really good, and he's really smart, and he's going to figure out how to work well with almost any player you put with him. And I thought the best example of that was, again, on day one of training camp, first time as together as a line, first scrimmage together, he was making some really smart plays that utilized McKayev's speed, right? Dumping it in from the wrong side of center, but knowing that McKayev was going to be able to win the race and negate the icing, right? These long stretch passes into the neutral zone and allowing Ilya Mikheyev to use his speed to catch up. And again, it's kind of confirmation of something we already knew, but yeah, Elias Pedersen is smart. You give him guys with different attributes, he's going to figure out a way to get the most out of those guys. Yeah, and that line's going to need a lot of time. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was particularly, like, I didn't see the chemical reaction on day one, right? This was not the baking soda volcano <laughs> reaction from, you know, the, the covalent bonds were not necessarily going off, in my view, uh, as I watched that trio play. There was a play where Pedersen, and I think this is what you're talking about, lobbed a puck for Mikhaev to skate onto where you could see, you know, how Pedersen can use that speed. But in the final third of the ice, I don't know that they combined a single time, right? Mikhaev would be trying to get open, wouldn't really manage it. There wasn't much there in terms of Mikhaev boosting Pedersen's offense as a heavy press. You could see it in the neutral zone immediately, yes. but in that final third, I don't know that they really have a sense for, like, I don't know that Mikhaev knows where Pedersen wants him to be. I don't know that Pedersen knows exactly how to use Mikhaev in that final third. That's okay. They've only played, what, five, six minutes together? Six, seven shifts over the course of a scrimmage? It's going to take some time. They deserve a ton of patience. And they're going to get a ton of patience. I asked Bruce Boudreau about it. He wants to he wants to give that line at least a couple of preseason games before he can even considers changing things up. Uh, Kuzmenko, fascinating to me. The um, I can't remember his first name, but Shepard is the the West Van tryout. Cole Shepard. Cole Shepard scored you know a goal in that game where Pedersen and Mikhaev sent just went for it on the forecheck together. Which by the way, both of them do. Like that's both of their game. And Mikhaev, you know, just like it reminded me a little bit of Vasily Podkolzin in the first two months of the year last year where he just needed to figure out the NHL game. He'd sometimes turn his back, for example, on the puck carrier in the defensive end. He was used to some of the KHL mechanics, KHL positioning, international ice sheet positioning. Um, with Pedersen and Mikhaev caught, Kuzmenko played defense like a winger as the last forward back has to be in the middle of the ice. You have to take the center's responsibility in that position. Uh, they got burned on it for an easy Cole Shepard tap-in. Um, additionally, I saw Kuzmenko learning to protect the puck, right? Yeah. I think there were a couple of sequences where, like, Kuzmenko's really talented, if you watch his KHL tape, at threading passes through defensive structure to teammates in the offensive end. But to make plays, to be a passer, 
you first need to be able to move about the ice, protecting the puck and controlling. And there were a few plays where, like, Shen or Poolman or Dermott would pick his pocket of the puck, and thereafter it looked to me like he wasn't super comfortable protecting the puck against that level of defender. And as a result, I thought he looked at his most dynamic with space or attacking downhill or as a shooter as opposed to as a passer, which is actually more his game. Again, that's the sort of thing you have to see these reps. You have to be in a battle-oriented environment against your teammates and ideally a preseason environment with players wearing, defenders wearing different colors than you to really sort of begin to figure out what you can get away with, what you can't at this level. That's going to be a work in progress for him. I would say my sort of first blush impression was that, you know, I think we're going to need to be a little bit patient with Kuzmenko as he figures yeah. this out. And yet, if he's going to play this type of premium role ahead of a, a really capable guy who scored 45-plus five-on-five points the last two seasons like Niels Hoaglander, you know, you got to be patient, but you can only be patient to a point, right? At some point, the games start to matter, and they're going to need well, their best player there. Especially We're with see. what we've heard about the team setting expectations for themselves. We've heard the emphasis over and over again on getting off to a good start yep. as well, right? So I think that's why they're putting such an emphasis on figuring all of this out in training camp, because you don't want to be still trying to figure it out uh, once the actual yeah. games roll around. On Kuzmenko, so my kind of takeaway was similar to yours, but yeah, obviously very high-skilled player. I liked a lot of what he was trying to do on the ice, but there's obviously going to be an adjustment period as he figures out exactly how to execute that and exactly how to accomplish those things at the NHL level. One thing I really liked, well, first of all, he's kind of the new heir to the uh, the Connor Garland spin move. <laughs> he loves to do the spin move in the offensive zone. Niels Hoaglander, by the way, just an absolute seeing Irish shot. There you um, go. To, to beat, um, you know, I'm not, I can't see who it is. I think it's uh, Spencer Martin. But absolutely wonderful stuff it from Nils Hoaglander. on the other side, yeah. yeah. Um, and just quickly on Kuzmenko, because I do want to talk about Nils Hoaglander a little bit as well, but I like that Kuzmenko was trying to take the puck to the net, right? This was not, he, he did not look like a perimeter-oriented player whatsoever in his first taste of uh, scrimmage action at training camp. It was all trying to go to the net. Yep. Now, as you said, you got the sense that when he was kind of protecting the puck, using his body to protect the puck in ways that probably would have worked in the KHL, and it wasn't working here. Yep. That doesn't mean it will never work, but it's just going to be well, an adjustment period to figure out how to make it work. Some things will never work, right? Some things that he was able to do in the KHL will not work in, at this level, but other things will, right? Really smart players, and he's a really smart player, right? Like, he's an exceptionally intelligent offensive player. That was apparent watching him play, right? Um, they figure out other stuff. They figure out other stuff. Lovely deke by him, by the way, uh, to also beat Spencer Martin in the far end of the rink. Uh, Spencer Martin seems to be getting the the high end chances here, <laughs> to, which is uh, which is which is tough. But no one's um, no one's judging a goalie off training camp. Not like not like we're judging players in scrimmages. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Goalies get a pass. The players absolutely not. Yeah, because Banco. I mean, there's certainly no question about his hands. Uh, about his skill, about his offensive instincts, all of that. We'll, we'll see how the rest of his game develops, well, as you said. And three. when he was in space, when he was oh, in yeah. space, some of the wrist shots he was making in drills, uh, you know, some of the passes, I mean, you can see there's a lot there. But, you know, it's a, it's just a really interesting dynamic to me, particularly in a world where, as we watch Niels Hoaglander take another lap with his countrymen, a couple of very probably Abbotsford-bound players in Niels Amon and... Uh, Linus Carlson, right? Um, you know, that's a guy who's proven that he can produce in a top nine role, in a top six role at, at the NHL level at five on five, right? He's, his, his scoring five on five is very much consistent 
with players like Bo Horvat, players like Elias Pettersson, players like Brock Besser since he broke into the league. And so you know there's something there with Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko you can see it right away. I, I think what's going to be really interesting to watch and what I'd urge fans to watch too as the preseason unfolds is, you know, is he ready on day one? Because this team does at the moment, like one of the one of the parts of having depth, right, is that you have options. And that's sort of going to be a fascinating dynamic you have to tough watch choices. You have tough choices to make, right? Potentially, you're, yeah. A, a potentially a really talented player who's not going to figure in your top nine to start the season. Uh, speaking of Niels Hoaglander, what was your takeaway and reaction to how he played in the scrimmage? Played really as, well. As we talked about, you know, not on the outside looking in per se, but with oh. a bit of a difficult road to, to, yeah. to trod to get into the lineup on opening night. How did you think he did on yeah. day one? Outside looking in, I think you're right. Maybe a little bit too much at this juncture, but on an outside track running the race, sure. on a, you know, facing a 2% higher uphill than some of his teammates based on where he's started, right? Uh, where he's coming out the blocks in this race for roster spots. I liked his game a lot. I thought he played really well. Um, I think he's looked fast. I think he's looked wide. Uh, looks like he's had a really good summer. And so we'll see where this goes. But I thought, you know, it's a very interesting thing that happens at training camp generally. As the coverage naturally, like there's a natural bias, and I have it too, where we watch the shiny thing. We watch the shiny right. new thing in a totally different way than we'd watch the players that we're used to. And I used to think this all the time about... You know, I'd watch Yolevi and fans getting excited about a Yolevi stretch pass in the preseason or whatever, and just think to myself, like, if Tyler Myers was a rookie, <laughs> we would all be over the moon gaga about yeah. what this guy can do, right? But of course, you know, it's it's just totally different when you're evaluating players like that. You know, if Niels Hoaglander was the rookie signing coming in and did what he did yesterday, he would be the talk of training camp. It's all we'd be talking about. But instead, we're all talking about where he lined up. We're talking about what it looks like on the line sheet and not about the fact that he was, you know, Niels Hoaglander's a 21-year-old forward who's exceptional in an awful lot of ways with plus NHL speed, incredible hands, and a work rate that's, you know, almost unmatched among players on this team. I, you know, I thought all of that showed through. I thought he played really well. And ultimately, it's going to be the defensive details that sort of decide his fate. And, you know, I thought those looked fine. Um, again, just a scrimmage environment, not, not necessarily the most structured environment, but where, you know, there was a notable error by Kuzmenko. There was a moment where Linus Carlson really struggled uh, defensively in his own end, uh, resulted in sort of a Travis Dermott backdoor uh, chance. Uh, there was nothing like that for Niels Hoaglander. There was no one passing around him. Uh, looked like he was uh, doing his job. So. Um, small hurdle sort of leapt over, and we'll see how the next 10 days play out. He's, at the end of the day, the good thing about camp and preseason, the good thing about sports, is no matter what you think going in, you have results and performance to serve as a reality check. Yep. And there's no question that Nils Hoaglander has a ton of opportunity here over the next two weeks to write a very different story than the one that got written out of day one. Yeah. And he, he looked good. And the other thing that just to... to add to your list of attributes that he brings. And the, the thing I've always liked most about Niels Hoaglander is he's got a nose for the net. And I said this about Kuzmenko in scrimmage, but we've seen it from Niels Hoaglander in NHL games. He goes to the net hard. When he gets the puck, he's either passing it to the slot or he's trying to carry it into that high danger area. And that's something that, I mean, that accounts for uh, the production that we've seen from Niels Hoaglander in large part over the course of his uh, NHL career so far. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up with your thoughts, questions, anything going on 
uh, that you're curious about here at Canucks training camp. We are live in Whistler. Group B, the first group of the day, fully underway at practice here in Whistler. This one comes in from Rager. Uh, just wondering how Pullman has looked and if the Rathbone-Shen pairing has looked similar to when it was Hughes with Shen. Um, let's start with Pullman. I, I will be honest, Rance, he did not stand out to me in a major way in the scrimmage. Now, Tucker Pullman is the type of player where sometimes that's a very good thing, right? I, that, I think it was yesterday. <laughs> that you want that quiet, unnoticeable performance from a defensive defenseman? There, there was a really good offensive zone shift between him and Dermott. Now, again, I mostly pegged this as a defensive error from another player adjusting to the North American ice sheet as opposed to right playing in Europe last year in Linus Carlson. Linus Carlson got a little bit lost in the defensive end, but recognizing that immediately, Dermott and Pullman combined to sort of just pass around him and actually manufacture a scoring chance out of it with them sort of doing the bulk of the touches. Ultimately, it went to a forward who hit Dermott for, for the backdoor pass, and I can't remember which forward it was, but you know, I sort of chalked that up mostly to a learning experience from the winger. But nonetheless, considering Pullman's one sort of issue last season was that puck control element, it was an impressive display more than that he held up like what what matters about tucker pullman's performance training camp that he's on the ice the next day that he's on the ice for the full session like all we want to see is him be healthy we know who he is right we know he's a fast um defenseman good good defensive mind excellent four-way mobility a little bit limited with the puck we know what tucker pullman is and if he can be that player that's a big help for this team they need that um jack rathbone was a little more interesting to me i thought he played really well for the most part, especially in terms of his overall positioning. But there was one sequence that I felt like was really instructive. So it was a drill where the defenseman had to squeeze a forward, right? And then there was an additional attacking opportunity set up with, where they had to sort of try and break up, not not quite a two-on-one, but like a late developing two-on-one. Like another forward down low would sure. activate after the forward tried to enter the zone against you. So he nailed the squeeze super aggressively. Really smart heads-up defensive play with his stick, knocked the puck away from, uh, I think it was Garland. And then Bo Horvat comes in, and he's, and he, you know, he's checking him, and he's completely harassing him. He's got him almost entirely beat, like dead to rights. And I'm watching this, and I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is tremendous stuff from Jack Rathbone. And at the very last moment, as Jack Rathbone's about to clear the puck, Bo Horvat stealing everybody's lunch money because that's what these players do, guys like Bo Horvat yes. do, lifts the stick, gets the puck, easy two-on-one goal against. And so I tell this story to sort of illustrate, first of all, just how difficult it is to play in the NHL, right? You think you have a guy dead to rights. You've come at him hot. You've got position. You've knocked the puck away from them. You've won the battle. And then, oh, right, Bo Horvat. He's a 60-point guy year after year, 30-goal scorer. He's played tough matchups since he was 18. Like, this guy knows how to win that battle. That last moment stick lift, right? Um, I love, though, what the overall sequence tells me about Rathbone far more than I care about the result, right? right? He's really dialed into showing what he can do defensively, and he's brought a really high energy level and competitive energy level, specifically to the other side of the puck. At least that's what he did in day one. If he can do that consistently and through the preseason, oh boy, there's going to be no doubt that he's on the 20th. I thought Rathbone especially, which comes as no surprise, because again, we know this about Jack Rathbone. On the puck, he looked poised, confident, sharp, aggressive. He jumped up in the rush on a couple of occasions. And, you know, to the to the Texter's question, to Rager's question about specifically the uh, the uh, the Rathbone-Shen pairing, 
Also no surprise, but Luke Shen was, uh, he was being physical, he was being aggressive, he was laying the body, he was doing Luke Shen things out there. And again, you just talk, think of the, the combination of uh, that style of defenseman with Jack Rappone, it's very, very easy for me to imagine that one being a successful pairing come the regular uh, season. And I'd additionally add this, right? Kuzmenko tr learning how to protect the puck is getting checked hard by Luke Shen, who's yep. bringing that effort level. You know, just like I've been talking about, you want to know right away. Right? If you want Kuzmenko to begin to figure out how to avoid checkers uh, or how to protect the puck against NHL defensemen in the league, having Luke Shen bring that physicality, bring that work rate, mimic that game situation in real time in a practice environment, Great. that's everything. And he and did that. He did that he in a did big that. way on and, the scrimmage. And I'll tell you what, you'll learn a lot more about who's on the team from how the veteran defenders on a team start to play against that player, right? I remember when Niels Hoaglander, it, when it became clear that he was making the team, right? All of a sudden, every shift that he was out there during drills, Alex Edler starts hacking at him. Alex Edler starts cross-checking him, right? Like, Alex Edler starts playing him with a certain cruelty with which he'd bring, with which he'd bring on a regular basis against the best players in the world, right? Like, that's the veteran defensemen are almost your tell. When a young guy is on the precipice of making a team, the veteran defensemen start to play him differently. They start to play him hard. They start to intentionally create a dynamic where they're testing to see if he'll hold up, right? And trying to show the coaching staff that too. The best way to know if a young guy's made the team is to watch the veteran defenseman. You could kind of see that with Luke Shen, and that's part of the value too, that having a guy like Luke Shen in the organization provides. Drancer, the, the defenders on the Canucks who are not in Elias Pettersson's group, they'll get a break because they don't have to play him scrimmage today, but he is not giving them a break <laughs> in these drills. If you were hoping to see dialed in, locked in, aggressive, engaged Elias Pettersson from day one, you are getting that, and it was continued here in the most recent drill uh, where he was uh, doing his deeks, as they say, playing with speed, playing aggressively. He looks locked in and ready to go right now. Which is good because it's a bit of a departure from what we saw at the last two training camps, right? The last two training camps, I thought he was a little bit deferential. Well, in last training camp, of course, he missed. Right, that's true. Um, well, he, but, but in the preseason. In the preseason, right? Yeah. It was just a different vibe around him. Whereas that 2019 training camp in Victoria, I'll never forget it, right? It was just core of steel stuff, right? Like absolute killer behavior from a guy looking to establish you know, uh, put a stamp as sort of an alpha dog on a team. And uh, I love to see it. That's what I want to see from Pedersen. Uh, that's when he's at his best, when it's all about winning and perfection and, and that drive that he has at his best. He talked about being two Pedersons yeah. uh, when he met with the media after the captain's skate, and I found that fascinating because, of course, there's only one. There is only one Elias Pedersen, the one we're seeing today. Well. Is dialed. There is the other one in the system, but I take your point. <laughs> <laughs> I, take, I take your point. Well, but that Elias, that Eli, that Elias Pedersen is definitely not this one. No, he is definitely not. Um, yeah, he, he uh, drew some oohs and ahs from the uh, the packed crowd yeah. here, uh, which is surprising and delightful to see how many people are here I, on I, day two. Of I gauge it at about 500. Uh, still some room in the warming room. Uh, that won't be the case tomorrow when it's a Saturday and everyone has the day off, right? I, I would expect this place is going to be packed to the yeah. gills and you know what it makes for such a cool environment uh, having Canucks fans out like this uh, watching training camp you can see the you can see the wonder in the eyes of some of the kids you know wearing their bowl oh, yeah. that jerseys and, and taking this in uh, just just a tremendous opportunity for those even, young folks it, it and for everyone here melt our cold cynical hearts Trance. that's that's what a, what a touching scene it is up here uh, I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> um, 
before we move on, I was speaking about it. You get Patterson. the like Grinch hard X-ray on me. It's still it's a like, shriveled prune. It's grown one like half a size. No, not, not even. Not three sizes. <laughs> not even. It's still it's still an all dressed ruffles chip. <laughs> all right. Um, before we move on, I was just talking about Elias Pettersson. You know, not not giving anyone any quarter on those drills. One guy who had a really good rep in against Elias Pettersson in that drill was Brady Keeper. And I wanted to talk about Brady Keeper because I think for understandable, very understandable reasons, as we talk about right side defensemen in this organization, right side depth in this organization, Brady Keeper has not been on a lot of people's radars coming into this season. But I've been impressed with what I've seen from Brady Keeper so far. And, you know, again, it's it's a one-on-one drill and all that, but it was a really impressive rep with Elias Pedersen. He looks healthy. He looks good to go. He looks He's, he's performing very well, and I'm a little curious now about what Brady Keeper can offer the Canucks this season. Oh, um, yeah, so there, I agree with you. Brady Keeper, so I know Brady really well, right? Uh, this is um, this is one that I struggle to be objective with. There are not a lot of people in this game that I root for more than I root for Brady Keeper. So I was the Florida Panthers PR guy when we signed him to an entry-level deal. At the time, we signed him out of the University of Maine, and part of the agreement with the, was that he was going to be on our roster for the duration of the season. And, you know, part of the reason for that was that, you know, he had, like, less than $10 in his checking account, right? Like, this is this is one of those signings that was truly life-changing when it happened. And he earned it. The thing about Keeper, right, is that he is wildly smart. You'll see even really, well, like, good puck-moving defensemen can hesitate when they feel the pressure from oncoming four-checkers. Keeper is one of the best I've ever seen at having ice water in his veins, right? He's always got a fake pass or just like a collection of smart moves to relieve the pressure. I don't think his I don't think his pulse ever quickens <laughs> above like 80 beats per minute. Um, he's just a really smart defensive piece overall and a really sharp puck moving piece. And in addition to that, this is the toughest guy on this team. You might not know this because you haven't seen him play a ton, but this is the toughest guy on this team. This might be one of the toughest guys in the league if he plays. Certainly was one of the toughest guys in the American League. Uh, just a absolute monster presence in terms of his ability to impact the game with his physical play. Now, Keeper was not the most polished skater coming into last season. That was sort of what was going to hold him back if anything did. And then at practice, he hit that divot sustained a leg fracture right a really dramatic injury and now the question for me is where's his foot speed at right this was not a player with a with a step to lose he had everything else but this was not a player with a step to lose coming back from an injury that cost him an entire season it was a catastrophic injury kept him off the ice for six months where's his foot speed at that's going to be the question to this point at training camp and we haven't seen a ton of it although we just saw a drill where the defender basically had to catch up to forwards he looked okay it's a really tough drill a lot of guys got beat in that drill tyler myers got beat pretty oh, yeah. soundly yep. albeit by elias Pettersson. Uh-huh. um but you know arch deep baines beat noah Julson pretty pretty cleanly i mean there's a lot of defenders getting it, beaten that it drill. favors the forwards very for, much for so. a reason right for a reason to to give management to give the coaching staff an opportunity to evaluate your recovery speed uh keeper looked okay keeper looked okay in that drill uh, we'll see. We'll see if his foot speed's there. I'm really hoping it is because this is a guy. If, if Canucks fans get to see this guy play NHL games, he's going to be a fan favorite within a period. Within a period, he's such a savvy player, such a tough defenseman, um, and such an easy human being to root for. So uh, we'll see where this goes. I certainly hope that uh, that his foot speed will play. 
and that uh, and that he'll get a chance to you know play a major role in Abbotsford or or even challenge to make the lineup. I think that's a little bit of a long shot, but play a major role in Abbotsford and maybe give this team some depth games down the down the stretch of the season. I think that's realistic, particularly if his foot speed has held up in the wake of a really catastrophic injury sustained at training camp yeah. last year. Early returns, at least, I think he's moving pretty well. So we'll see. There's ways to go and all of that. But, again, early returns on that front, I think, look good for Brady Keeper. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's Canucks Hour here live from Canucks Training Camp in Whistler, and we are coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. Uh, I want to talk about um, some things that the Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, had to say yesterday he was on with on Canuck Central with uh, our own Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw and of course obviously obviously transfer the number one topic of conversation uh, from the Jim Rutherford perspective when you're when you're going to be able to talk to him is what's going on with Bo Horvat what's going on with the contract situation with Bo Horvat nothing necessarily earth shattering that we heard from Jim Rutherford but I think it's worth replaying uh, and chatting about what it means a little bit so here's just kind of his big picture overall. Uh, perspective on where talks stand uh, from Jim Rutherford. Well, we're hopeful. You know, I mean, what Bo has said comes from his heart. He means that he's been a Canuck his whole career. I think he'd like to stay that way. Um, we feel the same way. We would like to keep him. And uh, hopefully we can figure out a way to do that, to make it work for both sides. And And you're right. My preference is not to have uh, loose ends going into the season. I've tried not to do that in the past, and that's really the preference here. So, so hope, hopefully we can get something done. That is Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, yesterday on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. And again, hopeful. Hopefully we'll get something done. We want to get something done. He's been a Canuck for life. He wants to get something done. And, and maybe the most interesting tidbit there was it would very much be his preference not to have those kinds of loose ends going into the season. So a strong preference, understandably so, to get something done with Bo Horvat before the regular season begins. Not a hard deadline, but a framework uh, that they're working in. Now, I will also say your colleague at The Athletic, uh, Drancer Pierre Lebrun, reported yesterday that the two sides remain far apart. Those things aren't in conflict, right? You can no. be far apart and then rapidly move together very, very sides, quickly. Sides are always far apart until it's done. Until they're not. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how negotiations work. So, you know, the... Look, the Canucks have not been able to get this deal to a place where they're comfortable with, right? They haven't. They just haven't. That's why it's not done. Um, you know, not a surprise, considering that dynamic, that they're far apart. Here's sort of where... I'm interested in exactly how this unfolds, right? And if you heard the crowd there, that was Elias Pettersson going bar down past uh, <laughs> Archer Silovs in the high slot. Yeah. That, that got people fired up. Anyways, continue. He'll do that and then uh, and then talk to Ian Clark on the back end. <laughs> I like that. So the Canucks, having locked up Miller, right, are not, I don't think, feeling urgency to move aggressively to get the deal closed. I think the dynamic of getting Miller done may have changed things up a little bit vis-a-vis -vis Bo Horvat. And, you know, I'm sure Bo Horvat feels that too. Like, I'm, I'm sure he does. Now, will they be able to hammer something out before the season? Will Bo Horvat want to talk during the season? The answer for that is no. Like, no, star players don't typically want to be engaged in contracts, talks during the season. I think about the Demko contract, right? The Demko contract got done during the bye week, right? And then and then 
sort of really finished uh, during the COVID pause that the team had as a result of that sort of outbreak during the 2021 season. Not a coincidence. Demko had some time off, so he really got involved with his agent, Jordan Newman, at the time and hammered out the five-year times $5 million deal that the Canucks ultimately signed him to, right? Like, that was the time off itself created the space for the Canucks to get both Demko and then ultimately Tanner Pearson as well done at the same time. Now, players of Horvat's caliber don't want to be distracted over the course of their hockey season by the business side of the game. And so do I think they'll want to focus on hockey, the Horvat camp? For sure. Uh, do I suspect that it'll play out a little bit more like Jacob Markstrom's situation did, considering that Jacob Markstrom's also represented by Newport Sports' Pat Morris? Probably. In which case, I don't think it's going to be like a show of we're not doing talks in the season. I just think Horvat will drop like, I'm focused on hockey now, yep. and that's what we're doing. And that doesn't mean the back-channel talks won't continue. Um, we'll see where this goes. It doesn't feel to me like this one's going to be expedited. But again, sides that are far apart can move together really quickly in a hurry and oftentimes and we've seen this over the course of the summer once elbows are thrown from by one side or the other things seem to get done i mean you remember we were on the radio the day before the besser negotiation yep. and i was saying with the way that both sides are talking i almost wonder if this is a good sign right i almost wonder if this is a good sign that we might be close to something the next day they had a deal so you know we'll uh, we'll see where this goes exactly um i think the fact of the matter is is that the club's priority is to keep bohorvat bohorvat's priority is to stay and yet they haven't got that framework in place that the club is comfortable signing at this point. And so, you know, now we'll now we'll stay tuned and wait and watch in advance of this and season. One of the dynamics you talked about is of course with JT Miller signed, it at least somewhat changes going to inevitably change the perspective uh, of the Canucks and, and how they approach the Bo Horvat deal. Rutherford didn't talk about that specifically, but one of the things he did talk about was, of course, JT Miller is a long-term contract for a player who's going to be in his 30s. J uh, Jim Rutherford talked about kind of philosophically approaching how many of those types of deals can you have on your books? And here's what he had to say about I that. Wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's a concern, but it's, a, it's certainly a legitimate question that people have because some players can play well into their 30s and do very well, and we've seen other players that that decline at a certain point. So, so it's something we have to consider. But when you're doing these contracts, you know that yeah, you have to weigh what you get in the first half of it compared to the second half of it and weigh all of that, weigh where your team's going to be at a certain point in it. Um, but I, you know, wouldn't want to get to a point that uh, that we have uh, a half a dozen of these on the books. But when you look at you look at Miller, he's been the best uh, player or the certainly the best forward for a number of years. Um, you don't you don't want to let your best player go. Uh, Bo's been a good player here, but one of the good things about having JT done is we were really concerned about what would happen if we lost both of them. And, uh, and so now with having one of them signed, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of the position that we're in.
That is Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, talking about their approach to signing players over 30 on long-term deals, and at the end there as well, Trancer, acknowledging that, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. How would it not? How well, could it not? And changes the like the key, the key thing, the key thing unsaid there, but very much implied by his explicitly noting that you know now we're not in a position where we're staring down the barrel of losing both players, right? Left unsaid there is, as I've been saying for a couple weeks here, the dynamic in terms of the urgency the Canucks feel to close to get this done is different, is different. Now, does that change in advance of the season considering their goals, considering their ambition of making a playoff run this year? Possibly, right? I don't think that's worth sort of writing off. I think it's very clear, right? Like, I think it's very clear. If you want to make the playoffs this year, having both Miller and Horvat extended is helpful. Like, it's helpful on that end in terms of building that team spirit, in terms of reducing the noise in a market where that noise can be overwhelming, Mm -hmm. thanks to us. (laughs) Um, No, but seriously, right? Like, there are real benefits to having – I'm sure our audience is so mad at that laugh. I'm so sorry. Um, But there are real benefits to having stability in in those situations. And the Canucks have partial stability with Miller locked up, but the Bo Horvat situation remains out there. I just think think the – what, what Rutherford left unsaid there was that the urgency has changed now that Miller is done. And that's not to say that the Canucks chose one over the other, right? That's not to say that. But you sort of wonder you sort of wonder how much Horvat might feel that at the moment, right? And you sort of wonder, you know, not, not how much the organization feels that because I don't think they do. But I, I do think there's a sense that the, or, that the urgency is different. And that dynamic is certainly worth wondering about considering where we stand well, in advance of the season. They've avoided the kind of worst-case scenario, which would have been neither of them is signed at this point, and then you go into January, and still neither of them is signed to an extension, and then you've got all of a sudden, uh, you know, this, this really complicated situation to deal with. And I will say, from a helping the team this season perspective, I think the most tangible benefit to getting Bo Horvat signed is you're not approaching the deadline with your captain unsigned, right? And then potentially putting yourself in a really, really difficult position where you have to make the choice of whether or not to move him or risk losing him for nothing uh, if he becomes an unrestricted free agent. That's the situation that you most want to avoid. Uh, I referenced your uh, your colleague Pierre Lebrun's reporting earlier. He also said that uh, the Canucks would consider trading Bo, Bo Horvat if he was unsigned at the trade deadline, which Patrick Alvin had said yeah, that really last week. Exactly. I mean, I explicitly I mean, asked him, does your stance on not losing players, not allowing players to walk for free change, if that player is a, you know, hard-to-replace star-level centerman like your captain, Bo Horvat, and he said, you know, it sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. <laughs> like it, and, and that's as, you know, definitive an answer as you're going to get. And by the way, dead on, right? That's been an issue that this organization's dealt with across multiple managements, man, management groups, dating back to, like, the days of, like, Sallow and Oland and Jovanovsky. I mean, truly, like, we're talking about a long horizon of some of the this organization's most valuable assets walking for free and free agency because of the way that this club has always prioritized making the playoffs consistently over, over 15 years and through both a window of contention and a window of rebuilding. And... You know, at some point, the bill comes due, particularly in a league that's an efficiency contest where everyone else makes sure to make those trades, sells at the deadline sometimes. Uh, this organization traditionally hasn't. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a real cost to that. And, and it's a cost that accrues slowly, like a drip. You know, it's not. And that's sort of where this team finds itself right now. And, you know, I think Alvin's quite right 
to point out that that's not something that they can continue to afford to do. And I think there's a temptation when you hear that report to oh, jump ahead a few steps and say, oh, they're, they're considering trading Bo Horvat. But I think it's really just establishing kind of a baseline framework that you have to have going into these negotiations, right? No. You as an organization have to recognize that that's a possibility. Not that it's something you want to do, but that it has to be there in the back of your mind and govern how you approach the well, rest of the situation. And, and make no situation. mistake. Make no mistake. Considering training Bohorvat, this organization's preference is to keep Bohorvat. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Bohorvat's preference is to remain, right? And I think that the clarity we have on both fronts is partly why, as much as we've done a whole segment on this, the tenor and urgency and level of speculation both nationally and within our market is materially different for yep. Horvat than it was for JT Miller. And I think that's because there's, a, a, you know, there's obviously work to be done to get both sides to a place where they're comfortable signing. And yet I don't think there's any skepticism, concern, or, you know, even industry in interest in exactly how these sides are positioned in terms of what they'd like to do ideally. Uh, just watching Niels Hoaglander yeah, continue nice behind the net and show off some of those puck handling skills that we were talking about he's here. Been, he's been phenomenal here. He's been phenomenal here. He's been very good. Uh, Taze5 hits us up on Twitter with a question. Uh, does Bo care about how crowded the center ice position is here in Vancouver? I, I obviously can't speak to his mindset. The one thing I will say about that is there's a, I, I've seen a lot of people text in and, and say on Twitter, you know, you can't sign your third-line center to long-term big money. And I do think, I understand that you just look at it in terms of talent and impact and all that. Yeah, Bo Horvat is, is your th probably your third best center here. I, I think that's getting a little too caught up in the semantics of, oh, there's, there's three lines, so he's the third line center. Bo Horvat's going to play a ton. He's going to play really important minutes. He's going to be a hugely important piece on the power play. He's gonna do, he is going to have an impact far greater than what you typically think of as your kind of archetypal third-line center. So let's not get caught up in those labels. That, that doesn't govern how valuable he can be. Let's illustrate the point. Who was Vancouver's first-line center last season? JT Miller. Okay. Where did Bo Horvat rank among all Canucks forwards in ice time per game at 5-on-5? Five five? I would guess second? Third. Third. Brock Besser was second. Okay. So, But, you know, the point, the point still stands yeah. that, you know, from an ice time per game perspective, Bo Horvat actually was a first-line player. Right, despite the fact that he, you know, at the end of the day, may have ta may take he may take line rushes on the third line, right? But he's going to play first line minutes, and that's how this is going to shake out. And that's partly a credit too to Bo Horvat's overall versatility. And I don't mean his ability to play wing, although I think he'd be a great winger if he was ever asked to do it. Uh, but but because he can play and leverage when you're up, he's part of what you want on the ice when you're trailing and trying to catch up. He's going to be first power play unit and might be one of the best bumper guys in the league. Very, very clearly top five at this point. A lethal finisher from that spot. And then, you know, he's now factoring into Vancouver's second power play unit, and I think Penalty that's... Kill. yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Power play. Penalty kill. Um, you know, and, and maybe that role diminishes a little bit now that Lazar and Makayev are in town, right? I mean, I don't think it would be the worst thing for the Canucks to find a way to spare their stars from having penalty-killing duties. Um, you know, they were obviously forced into it because of a historically bad penalty kill. And, and you know, Horvat, Patterson, Miller all did a, did a creditable job. But certainly in Miller's case, right, you don't really want him averaging 20-plus minutes no. a night if you can avoid it. I, if you, you know, Patrick Alvin said we'd like to tone those minutes down a little bit. To me, the penalty kill minutes are the low-hanging fruit. Right? Exactly. That, that, that's, the, that's, where, that's the first place you look to try to get that If you can find down. some other guys who can do the job effectively, uh, you'll lean toward that. But... 
you know, Horvat and Pedersen as sort of a second unit group that came on and played really aggressively and harassed uh, the pep, uh, opposition power plays and actually manufactured some against the grain offense too. You know, that's a, that's a nice option. That's a tempting thing. We I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see it. I loved it. I, I hope we <laughs> yeah, use it. I loved it too. It was maybe, fun. Maybe it maybe it's not your you know in your every every game every instance rotation, but as an option to have to go to, I yeah. loved it and I hope we see it. Uh, or maybe continue. it's a third group, but yeah. In any event, you know, figuring out how to limit that those players' ice time is worth doing, and yet being cognizant of the fact that Horvat's going to play first line minutes, regardless of how much center depth this team has. Uh, I think that's worth keeping in mind. Group B still on the ice, the first group today here in Whistler. Uh, this is a brutal-looking drill, by the way. So it's really a five-on-five -five battle drill down low, but with a transition. Um, so effectively, you're mimicking like a 90-second shift here. By the end of it, you see a lot of guys, you know, doubled over, gliding to the bench. This is uh, this is a tough one. This is a tough-looking end to the training camp scrimmage today. I hope group I hope group C doesn't have to go through this and then play. And then play. Yeah. And then scrimmage. That'd be tough. That'd be tough. Uh, when we talked to JT Miller yesterday, right? He uh, he said, "Well, there's no 40 skate, but you know, there's been some tough drills that well, basically approach it." You know, the big group actually, the big group got a heavier skate in session in the morning than did the other two because they weren't scrimmaging because they weren't scrimmaging and one thing that they ended with actually was um you know bruce boudreaux's versions of a of a you know um of a 40s right like it, it is a it is a bag skate version um you know lines or, or what have you so i'm curious to see if we'll see this group go through something pretty similar uh as jt miller did uh you know at some point in the next few minutes here uh, and one of the participants in Group B is a veteran NHL defenseman who's in the Canucks training camp on a PTO, Danny DeKaiser. Interesting situation for Danny DeKaiser, uh, playing with uh, Tyler Myers here at training camp so far. We had the opportunity to chat with Danny DeKaiser after uh, he finished up his sessions yesterday, so we were already off the air. We taped the interview. Really interesting chat with, again, a guy who's, who's done a lot of things in the NHL. Here's our conversation yesterday with Danny DeKaiser. Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Now very pleased to be joined by, uh, he's here on a PTO with the Vancouver Canucks at training camp, uh, defenseman Danny DeKaiser. Danny, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And, uh, you know, just uh, give us a little sense for you were, you were part of the scrimmage that uh, that we saw here on day one of training camp. What's, uh, what was it like to be out there on the ice with, with this group for the first time? It was good. It was good. We started with the uh, the practice there for 45 minutes or so, and, and uh, that was definitely up-tempo skate. Um, I know, you know, some of the guys were feeling it after that, but uh, then we came back out for the scrimmage, and it's good. It's good to get back into it and, uh, you know, kind of get the, the lungs and the legs burned out a bit, and, you know, that's that's the way the, the season starts. So got to be in, uh, in good shape to get going, and that's it looks like we're uh, doing that here. Danny, uh First time in your career you're at a training camp on a PTO. Does that change anything in terms of how you prepare, what you want to accomplish uh, over the course of the next couple weeks? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's definitely different, you know, than when you have a contract. Sometimes you have a little bit of time to kind of get into things. Um, on a PTO, that's really not the case. You kind of got to be ready to go right from day one. So that's kind of been my mindset. Um, you know, there's you don't have a ton of time to... You know, get into the swing of things. You got to hit the ice uh, going, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do here. Is um is that how big a change is that considering you know your lengthy career, right, and how well established you've been as you know for for a stretch there, really one of the premier like transitional defensive defensemen in this league. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's um you know it's new to me. Um you know I was ten ten seasons there in Detroit. 
Um, so coming to a, a new place here is different. A lot of new faces, obviously, you know, your medical staff, your training staff, coaches, all that. Um, you know, whereas in Detroit, you know, I knew everybody as soon as I walked into the door for a long time. So um, it's been a transition here, but, um, you know, I, I like it. Sometimes change is a good thing. You know, it's it's kind of uh, I feel like I have a little bit of more, en you know, energy coming to the rink every day. It's it's something new. So sometimes that's a good thing, too. What do you see as the, the value that you can bring in your role and specifically the fit with the rest of the defense corps that they have here in, uh, in Vancouver? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there's a lot of uh, skilled defensemen here. Um, you know, I see a lot of guys who can move the puck, play power play, and, and make plays out there. Um, you know, in, in terms of what I can bring, um, you know, I've been around a long time. I know just kind of how to, how to play a steady game, um, you know, not, not make big mistakes or anything like that. And, you know, I, I think I can also add value on the penalty kill. Um, I've been a pen penalty killer my whole career, so it's something I'm really comfortable with doing. And, um, you know, just – Playing, uh, playing solid defensively, making good, you know, a good first pass, getting out of the zone, and then uh, helping out on the PK is kind of, you know, what's going to give me the best chance here. Danny, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because as you began your career to now, right, the way we think about defensive defensemen has changed so much. I mean, you look at a guy like a Sam Girard in Colorado. He may never have even got a shot to be a tough matchup guy 15 years ago, and now, you know, that's – what they feed him they feed him toughs you were sort of you know along with a longtime Vancouver Canuck and, and Chris Tanev sort of at like the forefront of the league's evolution to where defensive defensemen needed to skate needed to be able to to make that first pass and, and sometimes join the rushes uh, take fourth man's ice um, what have you seen over the course of your 10 years um, that is sort of modified I guess what the role of the shutdown guy has become um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the game's changed a lot. I talk to people about this all the time from, you know, from when I first came into the league there, um, you know, if you were playing against a fourth liner, it was a big bruising fourth liner who was going to try to put you through the wall, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. that's not to say that guys can't do that anymore, but, um, you know, to, to be able to do that, you have to still have to be able to skate um, as a forward. And on the flip side of things, as a D-man, you know, it's the same thing. you got to be able to skate. So, um, you know, you have guys – um, you look at Hughes and Ekman Larson, they're great skaters and they, you know, they put up a lot of points. They're very offensive. Um, on the flip side, uh, to be a defensive defenseman, you still got to be able to skate and move the puck. You know, um, you may not be, you know, putting as, up as many points or scoring as many goals, but you got to be able to skate. You got to be able to gap hard, um, basically force the puck out of the other team's hands, coming through the neutral zone and then just go back and break the puck out. The days of the, you know, a big bruising defenseman who's kind of lumbering around out there and just cross-checking guys in front of the net. It's, those days are long gone, so you got to be able to skate, and once you get that puck, you got to move it and join the rush. What does it mean to you to arrive day one on a PTO, and clearly you get a pretty big assignment with, with Group B and on the left side playing with a, a guy as established as, as Tyler Myers? How do you approach that opportunity when you come in and, and see that on the whiteboard? Yeah, I mean, I was I was excited when I saw that. Um, you know, obviously, Mizey's, uh I've been talking to him a bit here the last couple of days. Um, he's a great guy. Um, I've never known him personally, but obviously, I, you know, I've watched him play for a long time and played against him for a long time. So he's a great big, he's a great player. He's huge. I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> standing next to him, there's, you know, some guys are, are bigger than me, but he makes me feel very small out there. And um, he's just massive, and he's got a long reach. Um, you know, I think, like, you know, me, me and him today, I thought we moved the puck pretty well. And, um, you know, we, we both have long reach, long sticks, and, you know, try not to give up too many um, shots in the slot there, keep everything outside, and then uh, move the puck. I think we can both skate, um, you know, well enough to move the puck, join the play, 
and uh, and defend really well. With Zdeno Chara retiring, Myers is actually officially the tallest guy in the league now. Uh, <laughs> like today is the first day where that's been true, probably in his entire career. Yeah. We saw you arrive in a cab actually with uh, with Myers, Pedersen, and Hoaglander, and obviously Myers got the front seat. Yeah. Uh, is that a long discussion? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it wasn't really much discussion at all. You know, I mean, you see a guy like that up close, it's like just go ahead, you got shotgun. Right <laughs> You're not exactly short yourself either. No, so Oh, yeah. to be look, making, yes. looking down at you, that's really saying something about Tyler right. Myers. We were, we were a little crammed in there in that cab, but you know what? <laughs> it's a short ride, so it was uh, fine. We're in a conversation here with, uh, with Canucks defenseman Danny DeKaiser uh, here on Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650. And you, you talked about how you, can, you feel you can really bring value in the penalty kill. And that's been something, as you said, that's been a hallmark of your NHL career. What is it that makes you, has made you, and still makes you such an effective penalty killer? Um, I mean, I think, you know, ever since I was growing up, I was always a defense first guy. So um, I always just try to try to read plays somewhat before they happen or, or kind of see plays and break them up, you know, um, as they're happening. And um, that's just always what I've tried to do. And, um, you know, I've always tried to block shots. So um, that's the other thing on the penalty kill. you got to be able to block shots, especially as a defenseman, you know, get in front of the puck and, and just keep it out of the slot there. So um, it's, it's kind of a natural instinct for me. How much, not just for you, but for any player trying to succeed on the penalty kill in the NHL, how much of it is about having a particular skill set versus studying, being, being willing to put the work in, and as you said, also sacrificing the body and having that commitment to the process? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it, skilled guys nowadays can kill penalties. When I first came into the league, you know, Zetterberg and Datsuk would kill penalties because they just have that instinct um, to know where, where plays are going. They have a great stick and knock down pucks out of the air, stuff like that. So it doesn't always have to be a role guy or a third or fourth liner who's killing penalties, especially nowadays. Um, you know, if you get the puck and, and you can transition, the other team a lot of times they only have four D on the ice or four forwards on the ice, one D, you know, on their power play. So you can put some pressure on them with, with some of your skilled guys like that as well. Danny, one other change actually you've observed, I'm sure, over the last 10 years. You mentioned the four forwards, one D, which is standard now because everyone runs the same power play, which wasn't right. necessarily like sometimes you'd come into a game and someone would have a spread or something like that. Now one through one, no matter yeah. what, all 32 teams. Um, does that change how you approach the PK now that it's less about what teams are doing and more about who they have doing it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's certain guys um, that, you know, are, are sitting there waiting for a one-timer. There's certain guys that, you know, can catch the puck and, and come down on a strong side and fire it under the bar. So that's that's more of what the pre-scouts are nowadays because, like you said, everybody runs the same power play. You know what everybody's doing. It's just about who's in those spots, you know. Like um, you, you see Ovechkin, you know you know they're trying to set him up. Um, or, or Kucherov on the other side for Tampa. And uh, you, know, you know what they're trying to do, so you just – Basically, you have the scouting report. Everyone runs the same plays, and you just try to go out there and kill some plays. Uh, thank you for taking the time. We love picking your brain. i got to pick your brain on one last topic. Moritz Sider, I watch him play, and I'm just like, this kid is a tank. Is it even more apparent when you see him every day in practice and, and in the gym and stuff? Yeah, for sure, for sure. He's, uh, I mean, he's got, he's already something special. You know, obviously he won the Calder, but I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, I, maybe he's 20 years old, 19 now. I don't even know. He's young, and um, you know, he's just going to keep putting on on muscle to his frame. He's got a big frame, and he's just getting stronger every year. I've watched him the last, you know, two or three years ever since he's been drafted and at training camp and whatnot. And then last year, you know, being able to play alongside of him. Um, it was something special. He's, he's a special talent for sure. He is uh, defenseman Danny DeKaiser. Danny, we really appreciate the time. Thanks very much, and best of luck here in Whistler. Okay, thanks, guys. That was uh, Canucks uh, PTO invitee, training camp invitee, veteran NHL defenseman Danny DeKaiser yesterday uh, after the on-ice sessions finished up chatting with myself and Thomas Drance here on Canucks Hour. And 
Very, very interesting perspective uh, from Danny DeKaiser, and I know you really enjoyed that conversation, Grant, <laughs> uh, because uh, being the, the incredible hockey nerd that you are, you have yeah. a, a special fascination with, uh, with uh, Danny DeKaiser's role and career in the NHL. Absolutely. Danny DeKaiser is, you know, what, what like evolutionary biologists would call a, a transitional link, right? There was a type of defensive defenseman prior <laughs> to Danny DeKaiser and, and Chris Tanev and, and some of those players who revolutionized the way that defensive defensemen defended uh, with the emphasis on neutral zone puck movement, the emphasis on speed. And after Danny DeKaiser, you know, every shutdown guy is like that, right? Like your, your template for a shutdown guy now is Jeff Petrie, who when Danny DeKaiser sort of first came into the league was seen as a puck mover, right? It's, it's just the sea change is incredible. Uh, Danny DeKaiser's entire career spanned it, and uh, and his impact with those Detroit Red Wings teams that were sort of at the end of their window but still contending, um, you know, was was pretty essential in ultimately dictating where that went. Uh, our guy uh, Patrick Johnson was was absolutely disgusted by the the evolutionary biology reference that you dropped. Yeah, he, he turned around and gave us the evil eye. Uh, for <laughs> he just he just had the same reaction as all our listeners. <laughs> it's uh, Sports at 6.50, Canucks Hour here. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, live from Canucks training camp in Whistler, where the, uh, the first group, Group B, on the ice here, being put through their paces towards the end of their session by Bruce Boudreaux, getting some skating in. Uh, there were some, some guys hunched over already before this last drill began here, Drantzer, and I think we're going to see even more of that uh, before they get off the ice. As you mentioned, this group put through, you know, the morning group put through a much harder round of skating yesterday than uh, than any of the other groups were because this will not be the team, uh, the group that ends up scrimmaging later on in the show. Uh, once again, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're uh, always looking forward to get your thoughts and questions involved in the conversation, hoping to catch up with a member of Canucks management here uh, in the next few minutes as well. We will keep you posted on that so we're seeing group b wind up there they're getting a round of applause they 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 gave the fans uh, plenty to cheer about with some oohs and ahs throughout the course of the drill it was archer Silovs uh when we were uh, playing the uh, danny de kaiser uh, interview who made some really nice impressive plays as group b exit exit the ice so we'll see group c come out next then a scrimmage and then group a practice towards the end what is on your must-watch list for the remainder of the day uh, here on day two in training camp, Drancer? Well, I want to see the scrimmage between groups C and A. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've got a chance now to see Quinn Hughes in drills, right? I've yes. had a chance to see Quinn Hughes in drills, play some of the right side. But, you know, even though it's just a scrimmage, it's still so much more telling in terms of an environment. How comfortable does he really look in the scrimmage, right? That, to me is by far the most fascinating afternoon subplot that we're awaiting here. Uh, you know, everything else is sort of um, vaguely interesting as opposed to really interesting. <laughs> but that to me is, you know, uh, capital F fascinating. It's my first real look seeing him in-game action. And, yeah, I mean, he's going to be battling a more tired team. But still, there's like, you know, six NHLers in that sort of Group C group, right? You've, you've got that Dickinson line with uh, Lazar and... Joshua, you've got, you know, uh, Horvat, the Horvat, Garland, line, right? and Pud So how do you hold up? How does Quinn Hughes look playing the right side full time 
um, you know, that to me is sort of the main thing that I'm looking for out of group and it, C and A. It actually, uh, group C actually has the, the deepest blue line, right? Not right. with the top end players, but it has Rathbone and Shen as a pairing uh, and Travis Dermott and Tucker Pullman as a mm-hmm. pairing as well. And look, there's no obvious, look, obviously one of the big questions coming into training camp one of the things that is obviously going to have the biggest impact on how the Canucks season plays out is how does the Quinn Hughes on the right side, Quinn Hughes with OEL experiment play out? We haven't had a chance to see it in scrimmage yet, so that has to be the number one thing that everyone wants to see going into the scrimmage later this afternoon. How does it look in actual game-like action? I'm really curious, though, to watch as well Jack Rathbone and Luke Shen, and I'll be fair, Travis Dermott and Tucker Pullman yep. as well because they'll be going up against the best forward line at training camp, right? The right. one with the most chemistry, the one that has not just had success and played well at the NHL level, played really well yeah. at the NHL level. S- near 60% right? expected goals, right? Like, this is a line that can control play territory. So I'm really, that's a matchup that I'm going to be watching, right? And Jack Rathbone and Travis Dermott throw, in particular. Do you think they throw Rathbone into that? I, I'm very curious to see if they have matchups at scrimmage. <laughs> but isn't it, like, let's challenge it. Let, let's go, right? I mean, you might I mean, as that's, well. That's you the time well. to do it. 100%. See, hey, can, w- w- what's, the, what's the defensive ceiling here? Where, where can we use this guy? Yeah. How comfortable are we with him and Luke Shen out there against some really good players? I, I think that's, this is the perfect opportunity to, to give him that challenge and see how he responds to it. Although, although knowing that he's going to be tired, right, you have to avoid reading too much into it, right? Rathbone may have a couple moments where – Anyone going up in this situation might have a couple moments where they look silly, a, a little bit silly, right? With the mm-hmm. way that Miller, Besser, and Pet and Pearson can play together, uh, with the amount of one-shot shooting talent on that line, um, you know, with their the puck-winning ability on the wall, uh, you know, you, you're in for some long shifts when you play that line in a game. You're certainly in for some long shifts if you're the tired team and you're going up against them fresh in a scrimmage, um, you know. It's a good test for Jack Rathbone, but also one we're going to have to be careful about inferring too much from. The other guy that stands out for me, and again, because we didn't see Group A scrimmage yesterday, this will be the first time we see them in that environment later today, and we had somebody text in asking if Danila Klimovich is at this camp. He is, hasn't been on the ice yet today, but he will be a part of that scrimmage. And again, speaking about, you know, okay, how do you, can you challenge Jack Rathbone a little bit? You have a chance to see him against some top-end competition. As we go through the progression with Danila Klimovich, I know you were uh, impressed with what you saw from him in Penticton at the Young Stars Tournament, Drancer. Now it's a chance, okay, there's real NHL players on the other side, right? There's real def- NHL defensemen that you're going against on the other side, right? So Klimovich and also that whole line with him, uh, with Chase Waters and Tristan Nielsen, that's been kind of an interesting subplot. Can they stick together in Abbotsford? How will they look in Abbotsford? I'm excited to see what they get to do, what they can do uh, in the scrimmage setting later today as well. Yeah, without question. The, <laughs> the Look, the scrimmages are a pretty unique opportunity. And, you know, we're going to see some split squad stuff here on Sunday. So, you know, my guess is in the past that third day scrimmage has been really telling. My guess is, if especially now that I have a good sense of how these practice days are looking, and the first group that goes does seem to get skated a little harder, yeah. does seem to be put through some different types of motions than other teams or than other groups that are practicing. So clearly we're going to see Group C get the long practice and the fitness test tomorrow, which means we'll get a Group A, Group B scrimmage. That puts every single scrimmage team in the opportunity to be the lambs to the slaughter and the slaughterers, <laughs> right? 
and then and then we'll get more on Sunday when the team splits up, sends half of the group to Calgary, and, and has sort of plays uh, another team at Rogers Arena, both hosting the Flames, another split squad sort of group there. So it's a it's a different training camp from what we're used to, and yet these scrimmages looked at in the context of one team's at a significant disadvantage. Um, you know, are still, I'm sure, being weighted very heavily by the management group to our left as they look through their options and consider what they've got going into well, a season. And even, okay, one group gonna, is that I a... was going to do a big bow on the stakes of this season, <laughs> oh, but okay, that's okay. okay that's sorry. okay. No, no, hold no, on, please. You gave, you, you gave too much of a pause. I, well, I'm always looking for my opportunity to jump you, in. You know, yeah, no, as you should be. <laughs> I got to take it. so annoying. Is he done? Um, <laughs> is he done? Is he done? <laughs> no, uh, I but wasn't. What I was going to say is... <laughs> There, I actually don't mind the dynamic of, okay, this group is at a serious rest disadvantage because guess what? Sometimes you're at a serious rest disadvantage. 100%. Let's see how you perform. Let's see how you Absolutely. do in trying circumstances. Oh, Go out and show us that you can push through it, that you can fight through it. Are we going to pull out schedule loss this early? <laughs> it's a schedule loss. It's, it's a, a schedule loss. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, I, I rudely disrupted your flow. There, no, no, Jackson. absolutely not. All I was going to do was something like going into a season in which they've said – it would be a disaster were they to miss. Like, I was just going to do something like that. <laughs> well, it worked out great. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad we got to that. Uh, 650, 650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text box. Uh, our, one of our regular listeners, Ella in Coquitlam, texted, how is Pedersen looking on day two? We've mentioned it earlier in the show, but it does bear repeating because to me, uh, for all the other questions about what, who's going to play with who and will Quinn Hughes work on the right side, who's going to make the bottom end of the roster, so much of the Canucks season hinges on Elias Pettersson's performance, and he's looked fantastic. He has been the star of the show, the clear, best, most dominant player uh, in, through both days of training camp, really, I would say so far. And that continued in the morning session here today uh, in Whistler. It's Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca or douglaslakeequipment.com, and we are... Coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio today. Uh, got the uh, the fresh wipe of the sheet of ice here. Group C, second group of the day, is on the ice. It includes Bo Horvat, Connor Garland, Vasily Podkolzin on the top line, Jack Rathbone, Luke Shen, Travis Dermott, uh, the, the theoretical fourth line for the Canucks, Jason Dickinson, Dakota Joshua, Curtis Lazar, so lots of interesting names to watch uh, as they are getting ready to start their session before they'll scrimmage against Group A a little bit later uh, today here at training camp in Whistler Drancer. And uh, we've got some interesting things lined up for this segment. We will uh, try to still talk to a member of Canucks management uh, as we try to wrangle them from their, their very important <laughs> meetings and evaluations. Their, their mid-session meetings, yeah. <laughs> well, Obviously, it's, meetings. it's much more important for us, for them for them to talk to us. I don't know why they're, <laughs> they're wasting time trying to figure no. out how to build the those team are, transit. Those are important meetings, man. And uh, so, anyway, we're, we're watching Group C step on the ice. This is the Lambs to Slaughter team, schedule loss. Uh, but... A lot of depth on this team, right? You've got two bona fide NHL pairs, two bona fide NHL lines. They're the only group for whom that is true. You've also got Garland, Podkoles, and Horvat. Pretty good trio of pretty good players. Oh, yeah. And after one more practice session, we'll get into a scrimmage. And look, you know, you look around and you see the Canucks jerseys and you see the amount of kids here today. You know, Canucks training camp's a pretty cool thing to have a chance to go to, right? I always enjoy it. I've always enjoyed it. 
And up here in this small, intimate rink, this chance to watch Canucks players up close the way that you can up here. You know, the barn's pretty full today. Still a little bit of room. There won't be any tomorrow when it's the when it's the day off on the weekend uh, sort of session. Uh, but it's been really cool. It's been really cool to be here and to see the excitement level around this team going into this season. Yeah, it is great. And I was, um, you know, there were fans here yesterday. I was obviously expecting the big crowd on Saturday, definitely, and we will see that. And by the way, uh, we will have our, our guy Brendan Batchelor calling play-by-play -play of the scrimmage tomorrow. We'll be back on the air starting at 11, and you'll be able to hear, hear Batch's call uh, of the scrimmage here on Sportsnet 650. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, and, yeah, I'll admit I was a little bit surprised by just how packed the building was here, Drance. But to echo what you had to say, it really is a very unique opportunity. I mean, this is, you know, you're seeing Elias Patterson go bar down and, and deke out oh. Tyler Myers. And, and you're and hearing you're the reaction of the crowd, the oohs and ahs, especially, mm -hmm. when it's, especially when it's the artist, right, and especially when it's Patterson. Um, no, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to get a chance to see that. And uh, we're going to talk goalies uh, a little bit here. Um, you know, I'm not going to come on and do the uh, give you the David Quadrelli like uh, technical breakdown of how all of the goalies. No, nor should uh, you. I might take off my headset and walk that, out. That's not my that's not my job. But I do think the goaltending position uh, is a pretty interesting one for the Canucks this year, Drancer. And obviously, with Thatcher Demko, you have a, an absolute pillar, a rock, one of the most dependable pieces. Uh, you could hope to have for your organization. There's a lot of upside behind that as well, right? And there's there's bats that we talked about a bit yesterday on Spencer Martin. But I'm also really curious to see, you know, how Ian Clark continues to develop Archer Seelovs uh, in Abbotsford, how Colin Delia performs in Abbotsford. And, you know, I already look at the goaltending position as a, a source of strength for this franchise. And, I could see it becoming even more so over the course of, the, of this next season. Well, if Spencer Martin can repeat last season, and I don't mean to repeat a 950. No, that would be <laughs> a slightly unreasonable expectation but, of you. But if he can be an average NHL goaltender as a backup, right, 910 or within screaming distance of 910, that's a huge, huge development for this club, and not just next year but the year after. Uh, the Demko thing, I don't know if you heard this quote from Demko's media day, but he talked about how last year he proved that he was a starting goaltender, and this year he wants to prove that he's one of the best goalies in the world. And, you know, despite the temptation to say, Thatcher, you did that you too. Are. You did that too, bud. Um, I like that. I like the idea that his expectations evolve as he goes. I like the idea that he was critical of his performance uh, last season. And, you know, I think there still are some questions here because while Demko's on a very short list of goalies who were like 915 plus uh, while playing, while holding down a pretty big workload in consecutive seasons between 2021 and 2021-22, uh, like it's really him, Soros, um, Shosturkin, and Vasilevsky. Pretty good company, right? Those are pretty good guys who've now repeated as above average goalies with big workloads. You know, to do it year after year is what separates your Lundqvists and your Luongos from, you know, uh, sort of the average goalies, right? Like, it's a big deal to be a guy who's a pillar, as you said, but not just a pillar once, not just a pillar mm -hmm. twice, but a pillar year after year uh, for many years to come. And then the other big question there is the durability one, right? The usage one, particularly because of what we've learned about goalie rest and how we saw it impact things 
for various teams in the playoffs. I mean, the Calgary Flames with Jacob Markstrom wearing down, you know, the Colorado Avalanche uh, sort of being good enough that it didn't even matter that Kemper got hurt or that Kemper was like 900 in the playoffs. Um, you know, that was a big goalie story. Vasilevsky's play, obviously, always a story. Um, so, you know, we saw how much goaltending performance dictates who's playing late into the year. And with Demko, uh, who played, you know, almost every start for two months for this team yep. while they were behind the eight ball chasing, you know, I got hurt late in the year, and that's sort of a big lingering storyline going into the season, not just for us, but internally too. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I'm fascinated to watch it. Uh, goaltending, the, we're not the goalie graveyard in Vancouver anymore. Right? No. This is, this is no longer, you know, Mufasa and Simba looking out and, and pointing out the goalie graveyard is like the part that the sun doesn't touch, right? <laughs> Vancouver is now Pride Rock from a goaltending perspective. Pride Rock, okay? So uh, it, things have changed. Things have evolved in terms of the expectations of Canucks goalies. Thatcher Demko was the crown jewel of that succession plan for an awfully long time. He's arrived. He's ready. He's elite. So long as he's healthy, right? Can the organization put him in the best possible spot? Can they do with Delia growing his game under Ian Clark's tutelage uh, as they accomplished with Spencer Martin? How much do they miss Curtis Sanford, yep. who departed for a job in the Maple Leafs organization? A good sign that the Canucks are doing something right, by the way, right? How much? How much does that impact? Um, how much is that impact felt with Delia's adoption of Ian Clark's principles? And finally. How will things play out with Mike DiPietro, right? Who seems to be on the outs of the organization, but the club hasn't been able to find a market and are not intent on giving away, you know, a former top prospect for free. Does that play out before the start of the season? I'm sure everyone on all sides would love it would, if it could. Yes, would very, very much appreciate that. On Demko, I, I just love, you know, your point about he established himself, or in his perspective, he established himself as a goalie. Now he wants to establish himself on one of the as one of the top guys and look as you said it could be pretty easy to make an argument that that's already happened that Thatcher Demko has already been able to establish himself as one of those top goalies but I always appreciate when athletes are able to find keep finding those next individual goals that drive them right and sometimes you have to you know invent perceived slights from other players or from the media or what have you or oh why didn't I get this contract but I always love when guys are able to find that next thing that drives them, that next mountain to climb. And I think Thatcher Demko is a really good example of that. Plus, he's just always so mentally locked in, so intense, so focused. And I think we heard that when he spoke to the media uh, on his availability day as well. The workload thing is going to be an absolutely fascinating subplot all season long. It, you know, we said this yesterday. It's another reason why getting off to a good start is so vitally important for this team. And... Start one from Spencer Martin is going to be fascinating because you know everyone just wants, everyone in the Canucks organization just wants Spencer Martin to show that last year, while you can't, you can't hope to repeat the raw numbers, but the underlying <laughs> performance was not a fluke, right. show that you can trust him. Because that's what it always comes down even, to. Even the underlying performance, right? Like, sure. The, it's, it's so hard to talk about that in Spencer Martin's case, right? Because he stopped more, like, he stopped more expected goals in nine starts than Thatcher Demko, who was one of the best goalies in the NHL, started over the entire season. Like, that's how good Spencer Martin yep. was. So, you know, prove that it was no fluke. It's like, ah, uh, you know, like, I think he's a really good bet as a pedigree goaltender with good American League stats, 
who came up to the NHL and held his own and excelled in the AHL and was a star pupil from the perspective of Vancouver's goaltending department. Like, I think there's a good bet there. But, man, was he outside of he was incredible. all reasonable incredible. expectations yeah. last year. Yeah. But for me, it's just with the backup goalie, it always comes down to trust, right? And I think right. when you are – Such a good point. When like, you are yeah. – uh, you know, when you have the track record in the AH, or in the NHL, the limited track record that Spencer Martin has, that trust is going to be inherently fragile at the start of the season, despite what he did last yep. year, right? And when that trust goes away for a goalie like Spencer Martin, it can be really, really difficult to regain it because guess what? You're not going to get that many games once that trust goes away. Well, so the yeah. early starts from Spencer Martin are going to be so, so crucial to build up that trust a little bit with the coaching staff. Well, and we saw that with Yaroslav Halak last year, right? Once, they lost the trust. Once he lost that trust, then they rode Demko, then the injuries started, right? Then all of a sudden, you know, you think about that New Jersey game, right? They absolutely had to play. Yaroslav Alok in that New Jersey game coming off this impressive Rangers win at Madison Square Garden. Yaroslav Alok doesn't make it through the game, right? Demko comes back out, battles the Islanders, and they win. And then in Toronto, remember that third period? Demko was sensational. Especially as the Canucks held the lead, uh, lead completely under siege late in a one-goal game, and yet coming off the ice, that was the first time we saw it, right? That was the first time we saw um, that Thatcher Demko looked hobbled looked less than 100 percent and i think if you go look at say percentage splits from there to when he left the lineup with injury it's it's discernible so you got to avoid that situation this canucks team got into in you know that stretch in march and february last year where they were you know clawing to make up ground demko played every game yaroslav halak lost the trust of the organization and it compounded to, to create an issue for the club or what should have been an issue for the club and would have been were Spencer Martin, you know, were Spencer Martin's performance not completely out of this world. Well, no, I mean, he he bailed them out in a huge way, right? You're going to your third goalie. You never know how that's going to go, how that's going to turn out. And they were really fortunate. Uh, and, you know, they laid the groundwork, right, by working with Spencer Martin and identifying him as a target and all that. But they were also incredibly fortunate with how it worked out. You do not want to be going through that type of situation again, right, where you're kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that the guy you call up from the AHL is going to be able to hold the fort a little bit, and Spencer Martin's uh, performance in that regard is going to be absolutely crucial. It's Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd uh, and Thomas Strance, your final few minutes of the show live at Canucks Training Camp in Whistler uh, as the second group, Group C, is on the ice well underway into their practice here at Whistler. Uh, and we'll do something a little different on the show right now. You can always get your text in 650-650. We talked a little bit about the fan experience here at training camp and uh, we're now very pleased to be joined he's a, a canucks super fan also a great follow on instagram on tiktok uh, he's on twitter as well especially if you like goalies uh, nick weston <laughs> you can follow him on nick the goalie on, at nick the goalie underscore one on ig and twitter uh nick thanks very much for uh, taking some time to chat with us how are you enjoying training camp so far oh thanks so much for having me guys um i'm loving it this is my favorite time of year right here nothing beats hockey season oh it's the best and this is such a good way to sort of ease into it. What, what? Why did you want to be here today? Uh, where did you drive in from? Uh, I drove in from North Vancouver today. I <laughs> uh, got up nice and early and uh, got myself a uh, you know a little bit of McDonald's on the way. There you <laughs> go. And, uh, crushed that like super fast. Uh, and then uh, yeah, I just wanted to come up here. I wanted to see the goalies. Uh, really excited to see. Uh, Connor Delia, uh, I've heard he's just the definition of compete. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things from him 
uh, yep. from the goaltender community. So no, no disrespect to Colin Delia, but I, I do love you know Elias Patterson's here and just Silly Putt Colson is here. Oh, yeah. It's like Nick the goalie. I'm really Dillia. excited to see Colin Delia though. <laughs> well, what have you noticed? Because Delia's an interesting cat in that he's actually had a fair bit of success. Like he's had a good baseline for for a backup or third goaltender in the NHL. He's had he's has spectacular AHL numbers. And yet, my understanding is a lot of the sort of, and I know you're not necessarily the the David Quadrelli, Kevin Woodley technical guy, but a lot of what I've heard about Delia is wait for January, once he's really adopted some of what Ian Clark uh, wants him to adopt into his game. What have you noticed from him today? Um, they just started a couple of minutes ago, but uh, just, just his compete is just unbelievable. I, right. I love watching the guy. Yeah. Is, is that kind of one of the hallmarks you see from Canucks goalies consistently now? Because I always think about that, your Demko. And I think back to last year, I think it was against the Rangers early in the season, and he lost some of his gear, and it was just an absolute you know, tire fire in front of the net. But somehow he makes the save. There was, it was just an incredible eruption uh, from the fans at Rogers Arena for that. But that's, what, that's one of the defining moments. We can talk about all the technical things that make him great, but that attitude and that compete always stands out to me for Thatcher Demko. No, absolutely. I, I remember, like, I was working and I would like jumped up from my seat and uh, you know I could have lost all my cameras or something and I just see Demko stick that leg up in the air and get the puck and I was like oh my gosh this is this guy unbelievable gives me chills just thinking about it now can you relate because when Thatcher Demko makes those saves if you talk to him about it not after the game because he's too wired but in another sort of moment he'll talk about the method of sort of like center strong right like it looks like he's flailing but in fact he's pretty calculated about where he's throwing his body to make sort of those, you know, not panic saves, but those stretch saves where, where he's out of position. Is that something you can relate to from uh, from Beer League? Yeah, but I'm not technical at all. I'm just, uh, you know, if the puck hits me at the end of the day, it's a save. I'm happy with it. I'll take it. Hey, all that matters is it stays out of the net, right? Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. that's, the, that's the job at the end of the day. Uh, they're going to have some goalie ice, I believe, after the, the rest of the sessions are done here. Are, are you excited to watch just kind of the process that goes into Ian Clark working Ab with these goalies? Absolutely. Right? Uh, whenever the Canucks post an Ian Clark goaltending video, I watch it religiously. It's just – he's the goalie guru, the goalie whisperer. It's just <laughs> so awesome to see, and uh, I'm so happy that I get to see it in person. You're blessed as a Canucks fan now that we were just talking about it used to be the goalie graveyard, and now it's the exact opposite. So as a goalie fan and a Canucks fan, you're, you're living in the golden era, really, yeah, for exactly. that. <laughs> this is what I've waited for for a while. <laughs> and and – are you uh, are you a McLean guy? Did your love for the position come from some of the some of the Canucks greats back in the day, or were you uh, were you casting your eye further afield at, at your Patrick Waugh sort of uh, sort of uh, Dominic Hasek tier goaltenders? Yeah, so I, I when I started watching Canucks, or how I remembered it was uh, starting with Dan Cloutier and Alex Ald right. and those guys. That, that was kind of my first memory Shout of Canucks goaltending. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now I'm, when Luongo came here, I'm just a huge Luongo fan. I, I wear the number one on my jersey because of him. Uh, you know, he's he's the reason I do it. With uh, are you are you buy me and me and Wyatt the stanchion? have a long-standing argument. I, I always tell him that Dan Cloutier was just figuring out how to be a really good starter, and then he got hurt. And, and this makes Wyatt very upset because he just wants to blame Dan Cloutier for the failures <laughs> of the West Coast Express era. Give us your, give us your Dan Cloutier hot take. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, he got injured a lot, eh? That's, uh, <laughs> that's, 
it's too bad. I love I love the mask though. Yeah. I love the mask. That's the, the simple one. Yeah. Yeah. Just looks so good. We Very were, cool. We were talking. Look, there's there's almost no point in talking about Thatcher Dempo because like, what are you going to say? He's great. He's going to be great. But we were talking about uh, Spencer Martin as well coming into the backup spot for the Canucks this year. You got, do you like it? You're confident in Spencer Martin? Absolutely. Uh, what he displayed last year, super excited uh, to see what he's going to bring. Uh, I really think that, uh, you know, he's going to really help that push and give Demko, you know, a little bit of much-needed rest before the playoffs because we're making the playoffs this year. I know it, 100%. You <laughs> hey, you're singing, you're singing from the same book as the players. That's what, that's what uh, they were all saying uh, as well, right? A rare bit of optimism from the Canucks hour. <laughs> thanks, to, thanks, to, thanks to our friend, the goalie. Hey, want to ask you about... So you are seen now as one of the leading goalie influencers on social media in this country. Can you explain to fans what you do, where they can find it, and how you got into it in the first place? Yeah, so basically I mic myself up during my beer league games and just <laughs> say and do ridiculous things out on the ice that people would never see before. Uh, I want to stand out, be a little different. I mean, goalies are different anyway. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, I want to be, you know, kind of stand out. You want to be uh, different even for other for goalies. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to, you know, bring some positive light to the game and uh, a little personality to it and uh, just rem uh, remind people, you know, why they did it in the first place. I get so many messages on the daily about people falling out of love with the game because they're playing, like, competitive levels and, you know, what? how can I just stay so happy all the time and it's just like – don't just you know have have fun. Yeah, have fun. It's, remember why you did it in the first place. And where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Nick the Goalie underscore one. Uh, we'll, we'll let you go in a second here, Nick. But I do just have to ask. You know, we've we've seen some nice snipes from the players today. Do do you allow yourself to smile, or you just see it go past the goalie, and you're just ah. Dang it, he should have had that one. What, what's the reaction when somebody goes bar down? Are you upset or are you happy to see it still? Um, no, I'm a Canucks fan. I'm happy to see it. Uh, it's like it's like 50-50 for me. I was going to say, that, there's a little bit of hesitancy there. Yeah, there's no, there, there is. Hesitancy. It's just like I like to see it because I, I would love to see some more goals being scored. Um, and then it's just like, oh, they led in a goal. That's too bad. <laughs> well, Nick, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time coming up from the stands to chat with us here. Uh, really great. Again, people can follow him. It's Nick Weston, Canucks superfan. Nick the goalie underscore one on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok as well. You want to check out his videos. He's putting out some great content. Enjoy the rest of the day and the rest of training camp, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks uh, there for he is again, us. Nick Weston. Uh, and, and, and shout out to Nick's mom. Yes, yes, who's my, a, yes. Who's a listener? My mom, my momager. Yeah, that's, <laughs> she's, uh, she sent in the tweet this morning saying, "Hey, Nick, the goalie is here." <laughs> Amazing. Thanks. There you go. Thanks, so, yes. mom. Thank, thank you for listening, Nick's mom, as well. We appreciate it. <laughs> All right, uh, Nick. We'll let you get back to uh, to taking things in here from the stands uh, in Whistler. But always uh, one of the fun things uh, about uh, about training camp, Drancer, is. You know, you're for us. It's okay. We can get players to come by. We can get management to come by. But there's all sorts of people that you're going to see. It's, it's it's awesome. It is that again. Not to get too uh, too sappy and sentimental, but you heard Nick just talking about the reason he does what he does and puts the content out is he wants to promote that kind of love of the game and the love of sport. And let's not forget that's ultimately why we all got into this at the end of the day, right? And so this feels like a venue where that can really come out. People could just come up here and enjoy it, enjoy watching it. Well, and if you follow along with Nick on his various platforms, right? Um, and, I, I, you know, I'm talking like hardened hockey guys, right? There's a, there's a vibrancy, right? There's just a joy for the game that immediately comes through. Well worth your time, especially because we can spend so much time on this show, in this hockey market, generally speaking, you know, 
talking about hockey and having these barstool arguments, but like their life and death, right? Yes. Getting a little too carried away with them. What? No. Hey, that's what we Never. do. That's Never. what we do. And you know what? There's joy in that's that too. That's fun too, though. There's yes. joy in that too. But it's still nice to have just, you know, uh, some some beer league silliness, right? Some some post game interviews taken very seriously from uh, from the beer league level. Just a reminder of why we do it, why we love this game so much. Nick Nick sort of personifies that, and it was our pleasure to have. Yeah, him. and we got a text in immediately. I love that guy. He's awesome. He does have a really strong social media following, so we were stoked uh, to catch up with Nick Weston again. It's Nick the goalie underscore one uh, across social media. If you haven't checked him out, do yourself a favor uh, and, and go check it out. We also had this from Jeff Rowe. Uh, I don't think he liked Dan Cluche being brought up because he says, ooh, Cluche against Detroit and Minnesota, a couple of tough series to stomach. I I think he's an easy whipping boy, but I don't – Cluche, I, there, Cluche there were, gets way too much. There were other guff. flaws with those teams. The, the problem is the problem is, is uh, Burke made a bad trade for Cluche. They traded a coin for Cluche, right? That was a bad trade that worked out because Cluche ended up becoming a league average starter on, you know, one of the best teams in hockey. Um What's interesting, too, is his save percentage was ticking up and his absolute best season in a Canucks uniform. Because remember, Kluche worked with Ian Clark, right? Like, Kluche was acquired. Ian Clark was the Canucks goalie coach. And the first year, he was all raw athleticism, right? Over three years, his save percentage began to tick up. He had two playoff failures, which, by the way, happens to every goalie. Like, every goalie has some playoff failure. Not not every goalie has the, the center ice goal, admittedly. But... That can happen. Like, you, you have playoff failures as a goaltender. Test, test, where Kluche's sort of legacy hinges testing, test, um, test. And, and sort of becomes something else is that he got hurt and never really recovered from those injuries in time to have the playoff series where he stood on his head, in time to have the big game six, in time to have the big game you remember him sort of coming back and winning. And if you look at that Flame series, right, uh, where he gets hurt right off the bat in that Flames loss series in the in the Bertuzzi punch year, mm-hmm. uh, where they lose in Game Seven overtime, Marty Jelena putting the puck past Alex Ald. That was his best season in the NHL as a starter. All all cylinders firing going into that series, he gets hurt right away. Gets hurt right away. Never really got the chance to create a memory aside from Minnesota Game Seven and that Cal- and that Detroit mid middle middle ice goal. Um, so yeah, I mean. Lovely guy, first of all. Really good goalie coach. Really good talent evaluator. Ended up working for the organization and doing an excellent job. Was part of was part of the team that recruited Ian Clark to Vancouver. Uh, Dan Kluche's Canucks legacy, um, you know, has taken too much too much heat, and nothing gets people upset like Kluche legacy Kluche talk. Defense. So I was uh, I was gonna say I was not expecting to end the show with a, a little bit of Dan Kluche wow, uh, re- revisionism. <laughs> It's not revisionism, all factual. <laughs> well, it, revisionism doesn't mean it's false. It's just revising the, the commonly told story. But oh, it, could sure. be, it could be a correct revision. And, and th- in this case, it is. Uh, anyways, <laughs> not how I was expecting to end the show. But you never know where we're going to go test, here test, on Canucks Hour. Testing, that will do testing, it for us today. What? Again, another – look, they're all special extended editions right now. But an even more special because it's on a Saturday edition tomorrow at 11. It'll be kind of split up. We'll do some show. Batch will call play-by-play. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be really fun on the final day of training camp here uh, in Whistler for the Canucks. That'll do it for us. The People Show, Big Nazar, Randy Janda, up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.